Welcome to the Year Now podcast. You're with me, Craig, and uh, today, tonight, on the 22nd of March, we've got Bronwyn. Hello. And Mark. Hey. How are you both doing? Fabulous. The weather is fine in Hutt, in the Hutt Valley. Um, we've had some really great lightning storms. Uh, nearly got caught in it when I was out running before our podcast. Ah, yeah, we had a torrential downpour here in Auckland yesterday. Uh, yesterday morning, there was a, a, a record setting uh, amount of rain in one of the suburbs, I think in Mangaree. Um, it had 52 millimetres in one hour, which is the most rain that has ever had been in Auckland in, an, in a single hour. So, um, yeah, quite a lot of rain. Wow. We're on episode four and we're already talking about the weather, huh? It's been reduced to that. Well, we haven't really indulged ourselves in any stunt casting so far. You know, we haven't brought in our pets or our best friends to uh, fill in the airtime. So I think we're still on an uptick. How do you well, bring in a pet to an, an audio podcast? Do you have to poke it so it makes noises? Well, actually, that was a bit of the, um, what is it, the shtick of uh, the podcast, My Favorite Murder. Uh, one of the podcasters would talk to her cat at the end of the episode, um, Elvis, and he would, he was well, very well known for meowing whenever she asked him if he wanted to have a cookie. So he's just okay. as much part of the podcast as uh, the murders themselves. In uh, in our defence, really, the weather I think it is relevant because uh, at least it was the angle that the the record amount of rain here in Auckland was probably due to climate change. So then you know, we brought it back to a science related topic. But climate change doesn't exist; it's just natural variations over time and something to do with sunspots. Surely, sure, Mark. Sure. <laughs> I mean, there's actually, there are still people who will claim that it's all about the gays. Well, the, the rain is caused by the gays. Yeah. Or, you know, <laughs> any any massive flooding or storm or bad luck or yep, I did not get a going text. anyone's way. I got a text this evening from a friend that asked if uh, Brian Tamaki was going to blame this storm on the gays. And it's <laughs> like, uh, no, no, that's earthquakes normally for Brian. But interestingly enough, he was in the news today because I think it was um, on his online sermon on Monday, which got published. He's already sort of calling for um, people to lease their vote and uh, put their vote towards the Freedom and Rights Coalition to have them lobby politicians. Yeah, I think they're uh, angling to start a political party as well, aren't they? Well, they I always think, try uh, to angle. They, this is what their second or third time trying to start a political party. I mean, at one point, Hannah Tomicky was supposed to be... Um, managing or leading leading one that was yeah, a yeah so the last election vision nz but it, i don't think it got very far mm. yeah there's just not enough people who would vote for an extremely conservative religious-based party in new zealand they will never I, succeed sorry i looked up the numbers at the time um and it turns out that Pretty much fewer people voted for Tamaki's party at the last election than there are members of Destiny Church. So not even all the Destiny Church people gave them their vote. And I guess I'm wondering if they're trying to just ride on the coattails of, you know, the recent protest and, you know, the amount of visibility the Freedom Rights Coalition received. However, I wonder if that's not quite the wisest strategy because Tamaki's also promising to make New Zealand a Christian country again, thereby abolishing all other religions and uh, or I should say banning other religions and as well potentially allowing the South Island to run independently from the North Island. OK, that's weird. Like New Zealand's not small enough, splitting it in half. Whoa. OK. I, I, I think the... 
the general um, thrust of the groups like Voices for Freedom is that they intend to become political and try and use that as a way of getting into power or at least in, into parliament. And whether or not the group, people who would vote for the Voices for Freedom would be the same people who would vote for Destiny Church, I don't know, maybe they might fight it out between each other. Yeah, I guess um, even if they all got together, all of these fringe elements, they might reach the 5% threshold, but I can't imagine them sticking together in a coherent party until an election. There's so much infighting amongst these groups. Remains to be seen. Um, they would need to get themselves organised. I, okay. I don't know whether many of them are that organised, but anyway. All right, so I concede conversation about the weather did lead to something interesting. I accept that now. Are we going to have another bet like we had about the ending of the um, occupation of Parliament grounds as to whether or not, uh, firstly, there will be a political party based upon these fringe beliefs? I, I mean, I, I don't think that's even worth power? betting on. I think I think that's, you know, the answer is a clear yes. They're going to try again and again and again and again until they somehow become the next Winston Peters and get one seat in Parliament. Yeah, yeah. But but come on, I need to have a a, a, um, a topic that that is a sure winner for me because I lost the last bit. You see. All right. How how about this? And so for one, I think we're probably going to see five or six different parties that all try and capitalize on the recent unrest. Um, but let's say, what percentage do we think they're collectively going to get in the next election? How does that sound? Between the Outdoors Party, whatever the Freedom and Rights Coalition puts together, Voices for Freedom, Billy TK, if he ever makes a resurrection, although he's promised away from politics. Uh, but imagine all of these parties all running their combined vote. What percent do you think? How's that for a bet? Ooh, I'll go for 2%, which is probably still quite a few, a lot of people. <laughs> I'm thinking it might be higher than that because I think there are a lot of people who were disaffected by it. I, I'm going to choose 5%, but right. I don't think that'll get them into parliament because they'll be splintered. Yeah, because it won't just be the one party. Uh, 2% and 5%. Yeah, I don't know whether to go in between you two and try and go right down the middle or whether I just go a little bit above 5% and then presumably anything more than 5% I win, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go I'm going to go 5.001%. <laughs> cheat, cheat. Uh, uh, so what are the rules here? So it, if it is like 4.9%, is Bronwyn win or do I win? It's the just rounding. So whoever's whoever's closest numerically. It's, it's Swedish mm. rounding there. So I, pro I I think you would win, Craig. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So you'd be the closest at four point nine. Um, yeah. The other thing we can do is you lose as soon as it goes over the threshold. But I don't think that's fair. I think we'll uh, we'll go whoever's closest. Mm -hmm. But then of course we're going to have an argument over what constitutes a fringe party and, you know, yes. do we add ACT in there, which obviously I'm going to be arguing for to try and bump the numbers up. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't think you can um, define any, any party that already exists and is in Parliament as being a fringe party. Okay, sounds good. Go. All right, should we get on with our stories? Yeah, yeah, well, I think so. <laughs> Uh, so this week I talked about um, the war between Russia and Ukraine and the um, use of a deep fake video. So there was a video that emerged online 
that purported to show the U- Ukrainian president uh, Vladimir Zelensky. Oh, how am I going to pronounce that? I should be. I've heard. I've heard his name so many times, but I've never actually said it myself. Um, Zelensky, isn't it? I think Zel- Zelensky. Yes. Jeez, Zelensky. <laughs> Vladimir Zelensky. No, I I cannot say it. Oh, damn it. Okay. <laughs> Zelensky. Anyway, the, Zelensky. But it's got a D in it. Yeah, depending on how it's spelled. Obviously, I guess it's not written with, with our alphabet. So, um, But isn't that an interesting brain phenomenon? You can hear all these words, but you actually go to pronounce them and uh, and you can't get it out. Or at least, at least maybe it's just my brain. Maybe nobody else's brain does that. <laughs> no, no. Same same with me. Even just not knowing. You assume you, pro- you know how to pronounce it until you come to do it. And at that point, you suddenly realize you don't. I find quite often before going on to the radio, I'm furiously going on to YouTube and kind of trying to find how do I pronounce and then certain <laughs> words that I've suddenly realized, oh, my goodness, I have no idea how to say this. And I don't want to sound like an idiot on the radio. So, uh, yeah. It's it's something I will admit to doing. Uh, so so there was this um, this video that experts have analysed and said, well, this is actually um, a badly done deep fake. So what is a deep fake? Well, it's it's a it's a sort of a technique using AI where they can essentially replace um, video uh, and audio and make it seem like somebody is saying some stuff in a pretty realistic way that. Actually, they weren't saying. So, in some cases, they'll go and use some video editing software to paste somebody's face onto somebody else's body and make it seem like that person is is in the scene and, and making this announcement or whatever. So, uh, in this in this video, the president was asking all of the citizens to uh, surrender essentially to the to the Russians to lay down their arms, <laughs> which. Uh, um, is certainly out of character with uh, all the other stuff that uh, Zelensky's been saying. Yeah, so this technology is kind of interesting, isn't it? It's been around for a few years now, and uh, the way it's done is if you can have a pre-existing video that's got as many elements as possible that match up to um, what you want to replace with, you know, especially someone that might have a face that looks similar to the person Mm. that you're trying to use. And then you train. So you give the AI that video, you train them on a data set of other videos and images of the person you want inserted into it. And then the AI does its magic and just kind of alters the facial features so that they match the model it's been trained on and it's it's pretty impressive and i remember the first time i saw it i really wanted to see this a few years ago and we'd been talking about it at a skeptics in the pub event and i went home at the end of the evening and looked it up and at the time like the joke is that you know so much of technology is driven by one thing right pornography (laughs) um all there was was adult movies where celebrities' faces had been inserted into the movie. Uh, and so I had to go and find myself one of these to see how good it was. And even back then, before AI really flourished like it has done in the last couple of years, it was impressive just how flawless it was. You could kind of notice little bits, but it's not like it's being pasted over the top. It's not like it's just the image of the new person being put on top of what's there it's kind of being merged into it in a really impressive way the ai does a, a very good job of it it's 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 not the uh, the monty python uh, with the uh, the the chin going up and down uh, <laughs> in, 
in time with some of the words that people are saying. Um, yeah, so it's pretty impressive. And especially if, say, you viewed this video on a, uh, say, a phone where you've got sort of limited or much smaller screen resolution, and, it, and it's certainly harder to to tell that uh, it's not high-quality video and, and so on. So I, th- I think the, the, the interesting part about this is that this is, in the future, going to be certainly a tool of misinformation. Um, and if you, you sort of think about it, political campaigns where you can use this sort of technology to paint your opponent um, saying something that, that never happened. Yeah, I think we're rapidly reaching that point where images and videos can no longer be trusted as evidence whatsoever, yeah. that they're becoming so easy to fake that we we just won't take them as as proof of anything. Hmm. Yeah, we've, we've certainly been there for, for photos for several years. I mean, uh, Photoshop, uh, you can basically create anything. <laughs> so if you have a photo of something, you certainly can't believe that it's a real thing. But a video has been much, much harder to do. But it's getting to that point now where it, it certainly is technologically feasible to produce this, and especially if you have deep pockets. Yeah, not even deep pockets for some of these things. The the way AI is going, um, a lot of this stuff, you'll just find something online, like an online browser-based app where you can upload different images and have them merge, or there's somewhere you can just describe the scene that you want. Um, you give a base image of a person, and then you can say behind them, you just type what you want. You say, I want some trees and a frozen lake and a single large mountain in the middle. And it will dynamically, as you're typing, build these layers behind the image that you've given it. And it's very, very impressive to see it working and working in real time in your browser. Really mm. good stuff. Certainly. But as you say, it's it's liable to be used for some, for some pretty bad stuff as well. Yeah. Um, so it in in the article I wrote, I also sort of delved into speech synthesis, and um, forgive me for reminiscing, but um, so back in the mid '80s, I was playing around with speech synthesizer chips on on eight bit microcomputers, and there was one where you could essentially hook it up to a, a parallel printer port, and you could in your program you could uh, figure out what phonemes you wanted to send to it, which would then you put those phonemes together to make make words, which would then make a sentence. Um, and the the sound was incredibly robotic. Um, I think the chip was was used in like those speak and spell kind of toys from the eighties. If anybody's familiar with that, I know you yep. two are so young in comparison to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, some more young than others, I think. Uh, yes. Yeah, I think I've got about ten years on you, and Bronwyn's got about another ten years again. Yeah, um, but but yeah. So I I was fiddling around with an online application which lets you create voiceovers for videos. And I was just absolutely amazed how good it is that you can basically paste in your text you want to say and then choose a particular voice. And it is extremely realistic. Absolutely amazing. So I can imagine a a few more years of development of that. And you really will not be able to tell the difference between a a real human and a synthesized voice. Um, I, I guess at the moment for me, it's just the naturalness of the pauses between words are slightly off from what a human would 
would do when they're reading something. But yeah, we're we're certainly getting there. So so I guess back to the deep fakes. I mean, yeah, certainly people are going to get to the point where nobody will trust anything. So even if something is genuine, if it doesn't have the message that you believe, then you might well um, discount it as being real. God. Okay. So skepticism is going to be even more required in an era where we can't trust anything. I, I'd hope because, you know, I'm a, I'm a technological utopian that we can figure out a technology that allows us to overcome this some way of proving something's authenticity. But uh, mm. knowing how the tech arms race normally goes, I can imagine that kind of stuff would be defeated fairly quickly. And yeah, uh, yeah I, I guess when it comes to videos of UFOs, we can no longer trust them like we have been doing so far. <laughs> Sorry, you've been trusting videos of UFOs. Yeah, do you, do you not trust them, Craig? You know those uh, those blurry videos of a of a bright dot like seven kilometers away or a hundred meters away. We just don't know, right? Because you know there's there's nothing for reference in the frame to tell us where it actually is. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. No. Uh, but I think that's going to be very interesting over the next few years to see how that plays out. So, Mark, what were you going to talk about? You well, had some people come to visit you, I think. Yeah, I did. I was going to talk about Clark Gayford and the fact that he's in jail for drug trafficking. Um, but then on Friday, I'd totally forgotten all week last week that I'd been contacted by some sister missionaries and uh, and they'd asked to come around and visit and I'd booked them for Friday at 1 p.m. And I got a message a few minutes before saying that they couldn't find my house. So uh, I helped guide them down my driveway. And sure enough, um, a lovely couple of young Mormon women had come to visit me. Uh, one thing I noticed immediately that was interesting was that the text message I received from them came from a phone number that I'd previously been receiving text messages from, from a previous pair of Mormon missionaries. So I wonder if they must have maybe got my number from the last people and I was just kind of handed over to the new pair of missionaries. Um, so I'm hoping, I'm possibly really a, hoping. Possibly as a joke. <laughs> yeah. Go and see the atheist and have a chat with him. But I'm really hoping that I'm on the Mormon missionary circuit now, that I'm, you know, something of an event to go and visit, because uh, I always like sitting down with the religious people that come to my door and just having a nice conversation with them, you know, asking them some tough questions at times, but also listening to them, letting them pray um, with this particular couple. They both wanted to give their testimony more so than the previous missionaries I had round. They were following a formula, I think in part because one of the two, it was week three of her 18 month mission and missions are more boring now because you can't leave the country anymore. It used to be mm. that the Mormon church would send you somewhere far flung, but in the midst of COVID, you're kind of stuck in your own country. So um, these two came from Hamilton to Wellington, very exotic. And, uh, and yeah, so for one of them, it was her third week, but the first two weeks she had to go into isolation because of a COVID scare. So it ended up that I was the very first person she'd ever visited as a Mormon missionary. And I hope I didn't scare her too much. It was a really nice conversation and they were really friendly. But some topics come up. Uh, one thing I had a real problem with. So one of them was Mari. The other one was uh, Pacific Islander. 
And they showed me with some kind of veneration this picture of the current head of the Mormon church. Um, and they told me that, you know, he was inerrant and blessed by God. And of course, it's an old white man. Um, and just seeing that and seeing that they just they seem to have this love for this old white man. And the Mormon church has a history of their leaders being old white men. In fact, I think nobody that was non-white was allowed in leadership in the church at all until the 1960s. They were quite late to come to the party with that one, unfortunately. Um, so that was kind of disappointing. But yeah, we we had a good chat. We talked about topics like, um, you know, I asked them if they had any friends that were were gay and they did and uh, we talked about how the church treats gay people and i think from their perspective the church they said was more loving uh, of gay people and it was like maybe the church is telling you that but i i can tell you as an outsider this is not how the mormon church is uh, is treating gay people and i recommended they watch a good documentary called proposition hate which is about the Mormon church's efforts to derail um, same-sex marriage in California. It's a really good yeah. documentary, but you, there was a real disconnect there. You could tell between what the church was telling them and reality. And of course, they're insulated. This is what they get. And it had me thinking. So today I was watching a YouTube video about a multi-level marketing scheme, which was selling essential oils. And right in the middle of this 10-minute YouTube video, they mentioned the bite model for trying to figure out if a group is a cult. And they were making this really interesting observation that this MLM um, looked a lot like a cult when you measured it against this bite model. And I think, Bronwyn, you were saying earlier that um, before we started the podcast, that this is not the only MLM that might line up well with the bite model, right? Yeah, well, I mean, it's sort of when people are talking about, you know, who are in the anti-multi-level uh, marketing community, which is what the MLM stands for. Um, yeah, the bite model and how they keep women in the recruitment process and keep them into that per pyramid scheme. Um, very much the commentary is looking at each of those organizations through the bite model lens. So that includes LuLaRoe, doTERRA, Young Living, Herbalife, and so on. Can you explain to me what is the bite model? Because yeah, that's a really good question. Bronwyn was really good to jump in and describe what an MLM is. I'd better actually describe what the bite model is. So um, the bite model was um, it was thought up by I believe a guy called Steve Hassan who left the Jehovah's Witnesses I think a few years ago, and he's been working hard on helping people escape from cults since then. And he came out with this description of four main ways in which a cult group can try and control you. And the four types of control that he describes are behavior control, information control, thought control, and emotional control, hence the B, I, T, and E. And it's a really interesting way of looking at it. So let's have a look at behavior control. I, I actually searched earlier to see, um, you know, oh, I've had this thought that maybe under the bite system, Mormon church is going to, uh, is going to score quite highly. And as soon as I typed bite model into Google, the first suggestion it gave me was bite model Mormon. And it was like, oh, okay, I'm definitely not the first person that's had this thought then. So I've got a page up here that's got a, a list of like underneath each of the main headings, the different ways in which cults can try and control you. 
And I can tell you now, most of them are read for the Mormon church. People in the, who come out from the Mormon church have been like, yes, this matches, this matches, this matches. There's a few green ones that don't match, but most of them things like uh, under behavior control. So dictating where, how, and with whom the member lives and associates, when, how, and with whom the member has sex, types of clothing and hairstyles, uh, regulation of diet, financial exploitation. We go on to information control, um, things like minimizing or discouraging access to non-cult sources of information. So restricting access to internet and secular TV, telling people what books they can read, producing in a positive way their own materials. You know, here is the alternative to the secular media. Here's our magazine. Here are books that we recommend you read. Um, information control. So they've got things about um, cult-generated information and propaganda. So again, making their own things, newsletters, magazines, YouTube videos, getting their members to try and be hip and trendy with, trendy with the youth of today, I guess. And then finally is the thought control. And in, under that, it's got listed things like requiring members to internalize the group's doctrine as truth. And with a lot of cults, that's a big push is, you know, how do you, how do you just swarm somebody with so much of this and changing the person's name and identity and use of loaded language and cliches is another one on this list that you know, this automatically rings bells for lots and lots of these groups. Like Scientology is famous for the number of buzzwords, but it turns out that the Mormon church also does that. It has a lot of internal language. Certainly when I was speaking with the two missionaries the other day, um, they were using language that felt quite unfamiliar to me. And you could tell that was normal for them. The church had normalized a way of speaking and a, a set of words, things like giving my testimonial um, that were fairly normal for them. That's just an everyday conversation but for me as a non-christian you know it, it feels a little bit weird but but for them that's just how they speak uh, and so yeah so it turns out just having dived into it really quickly oh and finally the emotional control um so manipulating and narrowing the range of feelings that people are allowed to have teaching emotion stopping techniques that one sounds a little bit icky um, and making the person feel that problems are always their own fault and not the fault of the leader or the group. Again, that one matches a lot of MLMs. The video I was watching about the MLM today talked about how the people selling these essential oils, they had to tell everyone that it was a miracle cure for pretty much everything. And if ever it didn't work, it wasn't the guy that made the MLM's fault. The essential oils were fine. He is perfect. It was that they'd mess something up, that whenever it didn't work, whenever it didn't heal something, it was always them. Well, that connection between the Mormon church and a lot of these multi-level marketing groups is actually pretty deep. Um, quite a few of those companies have their headquarters in Salt Lake City in Utah, which in the United States is sort of the headquarters of the Mormon church. And it really sort of connects to Mormon culture because a lot of women within the church they're at home or they're sort of expected to be stay-at-home moms with large families. But yet, because you have a large family in the U.S., you still need to feed, clothe, take care of them, school them. So a, an at-home business such as that provided by the multi-level marketing scheme and the potential, quote unquote, for, um, you know, big money payouts is um, very attractive. 
Yeah, there's a really good long-form article I read a couple of years ago about this. Once I first realized how many MLMs were based in Utah, it was like, is this a coincidence what's going on? And possibly, Bronwyn, you've read the same article um, I have as well as reading other stuff. But yeah, it was interesting that it goes it goes right into the detail of it, the circumstances under which this happens. Um, and the connection is really, really strong. And the Mormon church doesn't seem to mind too much. And it talked about how, you know, because they're already in the Mormon church, because they're already expecting to believe things that there's no evidence for. They're kind of open to more ideas where there's no evidence. The Norwex cleaning cloths or your essential oils or some multivitamin shake that's supposed to cure cancer. Um, they're kind of ripe for the picking, I guess. Yeah, it certainly is about thought control, isn't it? And I can imagine that if you live in Utah, there's a lot of social pressure to belong to that to the Mormon church, essentially. <laughs> I mean, yes. All of the, the sort of business dealings you would have, people ask you, oh, what church do you go to? And, well, it's also yeah. the, you know, it's really important to the social life within the Mormon church of, you mm -hmm. know, being able to go into the temple and see a lot of these rituals. Um, if you are excommunicated or you're not Mormon, you can't. And that's a mm -hmm. big thing for families. So, yeah, so my conversation the other day finished off quite nicely with um, a prayer and uh and I was, you know, bowed my head, didn't say amen. I kind of feel a little bit weird doing that, even though technically there's not a problem. I don't think God's going to strike me with lightning for not actually believing. But yeah, so we, we had a prayer, said goodbye. Um, it all went very well. And I think within a few hours, I got a Facebook request from one of them, uh, which was really nice. So we're connected on Facebook now. And it's kind of nice to think that, you know, if they do have questions, and I certainly let them know, if you ever want to come back round, if you've got any questions... Just come to me. I'm happy to chat with you some more. But just letting people like that know when they're in a group like this, that when they come out, there are people that are willing to help them, willing to chat with them about what they're going through that, you know, aren't in the church. Because often that's all these people have is people within their own organization, within their own group. Um, and it's sometimes it's really hard to leave because of that lack of external contact. So, yeah, hopefully, hopefully I've sown some seeds. Um, I'm sure they also think they've probably sown some seeds in me and that maybe eventually I'll become a Mormon. And I have promised that I will eventually visit their church, not really because I'm looking to become a Mormon, but because Bronwyn and I have another podcast that's uh, about to be released publicly where we visit religious groups and, um, and we sit in on sermons and meetings and just try to observe and figure out what's driving these people, what, what are the kind of core things that are going on here. Uh, and it's been, it's been a fun time visiting some weird and wacky religious groups so far. Is this where I have to insert the trailer for your, um, for your other podcast? Not yet, because I, I haven't edited enough episodes that we're uh, good to release it yet. But hopefully by the end of this week, I will have finally got myself sorted and uh, got some episodes online. Okay, so we can't ask for five-star reviews. We are going to cross-post about uh, other podcasts, <laughs> are we? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, good point, good point. Uh, <laughs> there is an inconsistency here in what I'm happy doing. But no, I, I think people would enjoy our podcast, and I won't be asking on that podcast for anybody to give us a five-star review any either. Um, I just, you know, happy for people to listen to it and hopefully enjoy it as much as we've enjoyed our Christian board games and our Builders of the Adatum. And where else have we been, Bronwyn? Oh, God. Well, we, we stayed at home one day and uh, listened to Brian Tomaki preach. And we've also been to a Sikh temple and a Hindu temple. And 
Done quite a few yeah. things. So, but now I think our, our intent is to go a little bit more mainstream, uh, potentially a Catholic church, an Anglican church. Yeah, I, I think sometimes your own home religions, the ones closest to you, you can really overlook and, and revisiting those religions of your youth and, uh, you know, looking at them with fresh eyes. Maybe maybe we'll have some interesting observations. I mean, for me, if I were to go and attend the church that I attended when I was a teenager, I'm sure that the messages that they're sending out are, are quite different uh, these days. So I guess it would be an interesting comparison, uh, but not necessarily not necessarily valid. Oh, what's the church of your youth? Well, I went to a, uh, it was an Anglican church. Okay. Yeah. You think they've mellowed a lot since then? Probably. Um, but but even even in my teenage years, I don't think that they were particularly conservative uh, in the messages they were sending. Although, <laughs> at least through my teenage years, I, I kind of felt that there was quite a lot of uh, anti-sex <laughs> messaging. <laughs> But that's the that was the seventies and eighties for you. At least growing up in a conservative uh, community in a province in New Zealand. Uh huh. <laughs> so, have you seen the Book of Mormon, Mark? Uh, no. Um, it came over here for a while, didn't it? The you're talking about the play, not the book. Yes, the, the musical. <laughs> yes, yeah, the musical, which was done by Trey Stone. Matt Parker, one or both yes. of the yes, South so the, Park people? South Park creators, yes. Mm. You know, I have watched about a third of a pirated version that somebody filmed on their mobile phone in an audience. I think I saw and the same one. <laughs> I, I felt I was ruining the experience. I don't like musicals anyway, and I felt I wasn't giving this one a fair shot by watching that copy, but it's never been properly released. It still hasn't had a proper... Uh, DVD or I guess online now release. So uh, yeah, I hope I hope that does happen. If not, I might mm. just have to grip my teeth and watch the rest of that dodgy copy that I've got. Mm. But it was it was well, very uh, funny as far as it went. It, yes, if you, if you get to see it, see it properly in person, it is, it is very good. I, I saw it some years ago in, in London, and yes, very enjoyable. There is a really good version of the centerpiece song. Hello. Hello. Um, that was done for the Tonys. And that's actually a really good quality, but it's hilarious because each of the actors in there, you know, in their missionary garb are knocking on all the doors of all the other, you know, Broadway actors. And they're coming out with like being really shocked because, you know, you have Symphony Nixon who's gay. And then you have James Earl Jones coming out, trying to sign a sign an autograph. And he's, you know, it's a Mormon person at his door in this theater. It's, it's, it's a good little gag. Mm. For, for those who are unaware of the plot, it's uh, some Mormon missionaries from Utah uh, go on their mission to, um, I'm not sure which African country it is, but it's that they go to spread Mormonism in Africa. <laughs> so it's completely inappropriate. Anyway, so the other question I was going to ask, Mark, do, do you think that the Mormon church itself are, is concerned about the possible contact with people like yourself that their their missionaries are encountering and that they might, people like you might well sway people away from their beliefs? That's a good question. I This is just anecdotal, but having had like a few interactions with both the Mormon church and the Jehovah's Witnesses who feel quite similar in a way, 
I'd say the Jehovah's Witnesses would be more worried about that kind of thing, that the Mormon church seems a little bit more relaxed. I mean, they're still very uptight and, you know, they're still very controlling of their members, but I think they'd be less so than something like Scientology or the Jehovah's Witnesses or some of the weirder cults that are out there. I mean, Gloria Vale obviously is totally insulated. Uh, it's hard to even get a look in at Gloria Vale. So I don't think in our new podcast we'll be doing an episode of Gloria Vale, unfortunately. I'd love to get there. And I met someone a few years ago who had managed to get in for a day. They have an open day once a year. And yeah, wow. for all, I think the uh, the companies outside of Gloria Vale that work with them, them and people they invite are allowed to come in for this open day and and see the whole complex. Yeah, that's the closest I've been to getting an invite is meeting someone that did get an invite to go in for the day. Mm. But of course, they're probably on their best behavior. I, I imagine that day looks very different to the average day, yes. What were we going to cover next? Well, I was going to talk a little bit about, um, you know, this old, God, this old scheme that was, <sighs> that's been going around for about, and I was surprised when I found out that it's been actually on the go for about 50 years. And that is the um, selling of Scottish land and uh, titles. Yeah, so that's been going around since yeah for over fifty years. And in nineteen in the nineteen seventies, the a law or legislation was put in place that would say, well, okay, a land of about one square meter isn't really worth our time in terms of registering. So it creates this massive legal gray area where you know these land can be sold for sort of quote unquote commemorative or souvenir purposes, um, but the people who buy them don't technically own them. And the other half of the issue, as I write about in the new this week's this week past um, the newsletter is that there's, you know, there's a little quirk in Scottish law where, you know, if you, as long as you have good character and it's within good faith, um, you can call yourself a laird or Lord or a lady. That's it. You, you know, so that was, nothing special. That, that, that was the first time I had encountered the word laird. What exactly is a laird? It, well, the thing is, technically, it's more of a description. Um, they're using it as a tongue, tongue, the company sort of Highland Titles, which is sort of the big company that has all the promotions going on now with Elden Ring, sort of using that as competition to uh, with that game release to give a title. And they have titles within the new Oscar nominees bag for the 2022. Um, but nonetheless, Alaird is just a description of someone who is very much invested and lives on this was a long-term property or estate. They live there, they operate it. It's not really a lord in the sense that a lord and lady are actually titles of nobility and of the um, gentry, which are um, awarded by the queen. So mm. I've just looked this up on Wikipedia and uh, it says Laird is a generic name for the owner of a large, long-established Scottish estate. So someone who last year purchased one meter squared, I don't think really matches that description. Yeah, yeah. So what this company, particularly Highland Titles, which has always been garnering controversy for at least, you know, certainly the past 10, 15 years, um, they have trademarked some titles. So they give permission for their buyers to use the titles of the Lord and Lady of Glencoe. Now, you know, it's like, what kind of harmless fun is this? You know, you buy some land and the money goes towards the conservation efforts throughout Scotland. And they're not the only company that does this. Um, there's two or three other groups which also are involved in conservation, whether it's planting trees or protecting wildcats. Again, these are private companies. So where is the money going? Is it properly being used for charity purposes? And does, you know, some, um, some commentators are saying, 
does this activity actually cheapen Scotland? You know, does it make a bit of a joke? Um, when it comes to the first two points in terms of, you know, it's a harmless fun, what's the transparency? Well, for lack of a better word, a lot of these companies do not release financial reports. So we actually don't know whether they're tree planting or their wildcat or their, you know, hedgehog efforts are actually effective or sustainable. Sounds like just a, a bit of a novelty, really. I think there's parallels here, aren't there, to some of the other schemes that we've seen over the last however many decades. So the one where you can um, buy a star and have it named after the person you buy it for. There's another company that will sell you, I think, an acre of the moon. Uh, Mm -hmm. I actually bought an acre of the moon for my wife many years ago. Um, Obviously, in no legal way does she own any part of the moon, but she still seemed quite happy that it was a weird and wonderful present. Um, So I, I guess, yes, they bring joy to people, even if... Maybe the money's just being wasted. Who knows what people are doing with the money? But interesting that at least with this one, people are saying that they might be doing conservation with it. That's certainly better than some of them are. Yeah, but on the other hand, a lot of people do legitimately believe, or maybe they are just trying to take the mickey and trying to push the legal boundaries of the whole matter. Um, They have contacted the court of the Lord Lyon, and this is the um, court that takes care of heraldry issues, such as the, um, the awarding of coat of arms. And of course, they... Every so often they get this uptick in applications of people who've bought these, you know, one square plots, (laughs) you know, so as far as, but as far as the court of line is concerned, um, these, these plots are not eligible for any sort of heraldry or nobility. So no, unfortunately you are no, what is it? Princes of Maine, Kings of New Zealand, as uh, John Irving would write in the Cider House Rules. Uh, You are no Lord, you are no Lord of Scotland if you buy one square (laughs) land. However, counter to that, in Ireland and England, there were similar plots in the 70s and 80s or similar schemes that were selling souvenir land. However, I think in the early 2000s, the law has changed where those pieces of land actually do have to be registered. And whether the scheme that you initially purchased that plot from was in itself registered or not, you have to go through a very, very bureaucratic process if you feel like it's worth it. So that is a very interesting outcome in terms of these plots. And from what I've saw online, there are still a couple of companies that are still trying to sell plots of land in uh, Ireland and England. How, how do they market these? Is it oh, well, online I mean, or? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I initially saw them, you know, when I was younger, you see these things in sort of the back sections of weekend edition of newspapers. How I came upon it, how I should say how it came back into my purview, I was watching a YouTube channel called The Take. Um, the take is normally to me a very good channel that has really smart commentary on popular media and they'll do their own ads. And I was really disappointed to see when this ad came up, um, but it sort of inspired me to go do a little bit more digging because, you know, this is a, this was a channel that I had respected and I thought, okay, maybe there's a little bit more to it than I thought. I'm not, I'm, I'm not convinced. And the next time I see an ad, I will be sort of sending a little note to the commentate to that, to that channel. <laughs> Did they but, voice it themselves? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, you know, yeah. they do it. They do all that up there advertising themselves. Right. right. Um, but also, you know, there's that new game Elden Ring that came out in February right. and part of their advertising or part of their promotion, they sort of, partnered up with Bandai Nanco, which produced the game. They had a competition for people to win 
a plot of land. And as I said earlier, in the 2022 Oscar nominee bags, which is this really, really bougie bag of $70 honey, expensive cameras sometimes, jewelry, etc. You know, plot of land has been thrown in there with a title. I mean, I don't know what an Oscar nominee would need with a plot of land in Scotland, but uh, first time for everything. I wonder if they actually get any sales from New Zealand. (laughs) I think so. Yeah, well, on um, on, on their website, they do have, I'm not sure if maybe that was something that came up because I was looking it up and, you know, you have your cookies, but there was a little blog post about the connections between Scotland and New Zealand. I didn't read it because I'm just like, oh, this is this is nonsense. Uh, maybe I will yeah. next time. <laughs> yeah, I, I was surprised when I first moved to New Zealand to see just how many Kiwis seem to have that connection to Scotland and talk about their Scottish heritage. And when they go on their OE, something they tend to do is to go and visit the castle of their clan. Um, and <laughs> I was a bit like, it's just Scotland. I mean, I guess for me, maybe being English, Scotland to me is train spotting and not heraldry and uh, castles. <laughs> but uh, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. Well, I, so, I, I think so. As as the the born and bred Kiwi on the podcast, I have to tell you that uh, such a faraway place as Scotland has some appeal because it's like it seems exotic and it's the wrong <laughs> way away and sounds like it's, a cool place to visit and it's got it's all wet the mythology and cold. around it and yeah, <laughs> wet, cold, grey. Uh, yeah. And I, I have stories from friends who, uh, turned up in Glasgow and have been mugged within five minutes of getting there. Um, now I was going to, um, I, I came across, across this post on Twitter yesterday, which is absolutely fascinating. And I thought I would read it out to you, uh, just to get your reactions. So this, um, this came from, uh, it seems to be a story that some anti-vaxxer has made up, or at least that's my interpretation of it, uh, but it, it really is just laughable. Anyway, I'll read it out. Today, I was eating almonds on a bench in the park, and a lady walked by and started yelling at me, you should not be eating almonds. I have a severe allergy, and so does my son. Without saying anything, I calmly reached into my yellow purse and took out my new essential oil blend. Then I stood up, still without saying anything, and injected her and her son with the blend with the needle that I keep in my purse for situations like this. It happens more often than you think. Then I gave her an almond and told her to eat it. After she finished, she told me she had several doctors prescribe her medication for her allergy, and none of them actually worked, but mine did. She actually asked me if I was literally a doctor and when I told her I wasn't her jaw dropped you aren't nope I said smugly so today not only did I get a new customer for my blend but I also got a hundred pounds as an apology for her bothering me she also asked for the rest of the bag of the almonds (laughs) can you believe that um (laughs) would that be believable to anybody Uh, I think there is a subset of the population that would hear that and be primed to believe it and might be like, yeah, yeah, that that's a really good story. And I already believe in essential oils. But yeah, I mean, none of that rings true. Right. You'd figure you go up and inject somebody. They punch you in the face. Exactly. Uh, (laughs) I'm coming at you with a needle. (laughs) 
<laughs> wow. So, I mean, I wonder whether, A, is there a grain of truth to this? Is there something that happened like maybe she offered for the person to sniff an essential oil and the rest of the story is made up? Or is this just made up out of whole cloth? Is this that there is no basis to this and somebody is such a fantasist that this is the kind of thing they imagine reality could be like? It's like sort of a, yeah, this really happened. Because, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, just to, you know, if someone came at you with a needle, like that's assault. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when I first read the first couple of sentences, it sounds like it's an allusion to... Um, COVID and the dangers of yeah. people possibly um, infecting vulnerable people uh, <laughs> who can't be vaccinated. But then it just goes completely off the rails. <laughs> like, yes, I, I was uh, expecting it was going to be that the uh, the story is, ah, you do this, but yet you, you have this injection. How crazy are you? Um, but then it went a totally different direction. And you start to realize that the person writing it thinks that it's true. Um, has written it as if this is a real event that happened. And no, no, that absolutely did not happen. I would put money on it <laughs> and paid hey, me a no, hundred pounds. You won't get any bet from me that it actually happened. No. <laughs> Obviously, these people have just some weird fantasy in their mind about how the world actually works. <laughs> yes. Even just in, injecting an essential oil, like, that's not how you're supposed to no. use them. <laughs> Your MLM wants their license back. (laughs) But the thing is, people aren't supposed to like in orally ingest, you know, essential oils either. But yet they do. They put them in cooking. They. Yeah, Yeah, there's a good point. Yes, they do. (laughs) And essential oil companies like doTERRA do suggest that. I think centrally they don't. You know, the official documentation doesn't. But your independent distributors will tell you about all the different uses you can uh, put them to, including putting them in baking and things like that. Yeah, one hopes that nobody is going to suggest that they be injected. (laughs) Oh, and they didn't clean the needle. (laughs) Now I'm going to be paranoid the next time I walk down the street that someone's just going to randomly come out of the behind a tree and inject me with an essential oil. You've given me a new phobia now. Very good. That's my purpose. (laughs) Uh, right. Shall we? Um, shall we move on to uh, announcements in the uh, membership corner? Yes. Well, you know what? The next two weeks are a bumper crop of activities, particularly in the Wellington region for skeptics. Um, first of all, this Friday is our fortnightly Skeptics in the Pub at the Lobby Lounge inside the Intercontinental Hotel. Festivities kick off at six p.m. And usually go until the there's a last man standing. Um, however, we try to be really good people and not leave the last man standing with the entire bar tab. But look, it's a good <laughs> it time. It has happened before. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's <laughs> happened more than once. And we try not to do that. Um, but look, it's a good time to just, you know, have some really casual chats. Um, we re- always appreciate it when someone comes around with a different sort of movie or TV show and, and a bit of skeptical news. Um, so come and join us on Friday. And then Mark, you have the um, activism meeting on next Thursday. Yeah. So next Thursday, we're hoping to meet in person again at the Fork and Brewer from 6.30, 6 o'clock or 6.30, one or the other. But uh, yeah, for anybody that wants to come and submit a complaint somewhere, uh, it's been a while since we've met in person. So 
I think maybe we've got a fair bit we could complain about. Um, I've certainly been pinged by people about a couple of different IV infusion uh, places. I think one in Hamilton. I can't remember where the other one is, but this is IV bags of high dose vitamin C and other things where they make fantastical claims about what they can do. So maybe uh, maybe a complaint to MedSafe might be in order for those places. We'll we'll have a proper read, figure out what we can do and go from there. So ne- that's next week on Thursday at the Fork and Brewer in Wellington. Great. So that would be um, Thursday, March the 31st. Um, and then on the next day, uh, April the 1st, Happy April Fools, you know, for skeptics far and wide throughout our country and actually around the world. We actually have our fourth weekly um, Skeptics in Cyberspace. Um, That will be starting again at six o'clock. We hold these meetings on Zoom. And as with Skeptics in the Pub, the activism meeting at Fork and Brewer and the Skeptics in Cyberspace, we do ask that you RSVP at the um, Skeptics in the Pub Wellington meetup page. We do advertise these meetups on our Facebook page, but those links will take you to our meetup page, if not to get so confusing. And then we'll be able to send you the um, the links. Very good. Sounds like a, uh, a busy few weeks coming up. Mm-hmm. And then following that, we just have one more announcement on behalf of the um, humanists. Uh, Mark, um, just following up from our chat um, with Colin Woodhouse, just a reminder for those listeners on April 4th, we have a, a Zoom meeting with the Humanist, and they're hosting a non-religious pastoral care um, presentation uh, with one of the uh, leading UK um, non-religious pastoral care service providers. Is that correct? Yes. Lindsay Van Dyke will be connecting into the Zoom meeting from 7 o'clock on April the 4th. Uh, so it's online. Everybody's welcome. Again, it's on the Wellington Skeptics in the Pub meetup group. It's also on the Humanist NZ Facebook group. Either place you can RSVP and get the Zoom link to connect in. And we're going to hear about um, how in the UK they managed to get, I think, several paid positions for non-religious chaplains um, working in hospitals. And uh, certainly it's something that Humanist New Zealand is looking at and would like to be able to offer in this country, uh, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago in our interview with Colin Woodhouse. So, um, yes, hopefully, hopefully in time we can get that going. But hearing from somebody who spearheaded it in another country, uh, hopefully will give us some good ideas about how we go about this. So I think we are done. Yes, we're done. Another yes. episode finished. I think Another so. Another one. We survived. Very good. <laughs> you have been listening to the cusp. No, not the cusp. <laughs> <laughs> that was your last podcast. Uh, skepticism today. No, hang on. That was my last podcast. <laughs> What's this one called? What are we calling ourselves? Yeah, You have been listening to yeah, nah. Uh, if you'd like to give us some feedback, you can find us on Twitter at ENRPod or you can send us an email to news at skeptics.nz or yeah, podcast like, like, at skeptics.nz. Like, yeah. subscribe, but there's no bells to ring. This is not YouTube. <laughs> we'll get there one day. <laughs> all right. See you all next time. Adios. Bye.